going in the uh, in this Bible. It's on page one one five six. So one one five six. So one Corinthians fifteen verses twelve to thirty four. Thank you. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. But those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the firstfruits, then, when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who puts everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him, who, puts, who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptised for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptised for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day, yes, as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. For if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, then let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought, and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God, and I say this to your shame. This is the word of the Lord. Sweet God. Do um, turn to page six and seven in the books. Um, that'll just have the headings that might help follow along. And do keep your Bibles open as well. Do you ever wonder that this life is all there is? That perhaps we're here for maybe 80 or 90 years and then that's it? Honestly, there, there are times when thoughts like that do cross my mind. What if we're wrong about Jesus? 
What if we're wrong about life after death? What if we're building our lives on a lie? And so what if um, we're missing out on life in the present? Because there are many ways, aren't there, that being a Christian means that we make sacrifices now because, because we follow Jesus. Sacrifices of time. So Sundays spent with church when perhaps we could be spending a bit more time with friends or family in sports or leisure or in bed. Sacrifices of money um, given to church or to gospel work that means we've cut costs in other ways. Sacrifices of relationships. Perhaps you know the difficulties um, of being a Christian, um, in how, how that's impacted your relationships with family or friends or colleagues. Sacrifices of comfort, security, as we look to share the gospel with others, that can feel really uncomfortable, can't it? Um, sacrifices of, of pleasure, um, putting Jesus before ourself, um, perhaps in areas of sexual purity um, in our circumstances. But what if these sacrifices are ultimately pointless, foolish even, because this life is all there is? Instead, we might begin to wonder, however fleetingly, wouldn't it be better to live for today? Uh, carpe diem, as that famous Latin phrase goes, seize now, enjoy now. Uh, maybe, maybe we've begun to do that in really subtle ways. We wouldn't say outright that we're doing that, but it can be so subtle. Perhaps there are ways we're choosing comfort um, in the short term and what we'd like in the short term, it might be right now, or it might be the short term of the next few months, or the next year, or the next decade. Our focus on, on this life rather than eternity. Now, this is something the Corinthian Christians were doing. Throughout Paul's letter, because um, we're just touching on one chapter, but throughout the letter, it's clear that the Corinthian church, the Christians, were living for now. What did this look like for them? What did living for now look like? Well, it meant that actually they really needed status and respect from one another in the now. And that resulted in arguments, um, speaking against one another, judging one another, because they needed that, that status. Living for the now affected their sexual behavior. Um, they were pursuing sexual activity outside of the marriage relationship. Why, why show restraint in sexual desire when their bodies could and indeed should be satisfied in the here and now? I wonder, I don't think today that we are too different from Corinthian Christians. I mean, of course we could, I could stand here and we could talk about wider society and wider society's pressures, especially that instant gratification culture. Um, that would be easy to do. But actually, for us as Christians, whenever we choose sin, we're actually making a choice for the moment, aren't we? A choice for now, not eternity. I see this in my own heart. Perhaps, perhaps you see it in yours too. It really is so easy to live for the now, to live as though this world is all there is. So how do we fight that temptation that temptation to sin and to live for now. And how about that fear of missing out? How do we answer 
the fear of FOMO, as I think teenagers say, I'm not that cool with the kids, but fear of missing out. And how do we keep going and following Jesus when we know he says, take up your cross and sacrifice us now? And how do we know that there really, really is certainty about life after death? Well, the answer is only found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see this morning from 1 Corinthians 15 that no resurrection would mean our faith is pointless, but Jesus has been raised. No resurrection would mean our faith is pointless, but Jesus has been raised. Do have a look with me um, at verses 12 to 14. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. We saw yesterday evening in verses 1 to 11 that Paul preached the resurrection of Jesus. Along with Jesus' death on the cross for our sins, Jesus' resurrection is central to the gospel. And this is the gospel that Paul preached. This is the gospel that the Corinthians believed and were to keep holding to firmly. But now, now some of the Corinthian Christians, they were saying, well, there is no resurrection of the dead. They thought the soul might continue, but they didn't believe that the dead would be physically raised from their graves. And, and Paul is shocked by this. Verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? How? How can they say that the dead won't rise? Paul is astounded. Don't they realize what it would mean if the dead are not raised? You see, these Christians, they needed to wake up. Imagine an icy cold bucket of water poured over their heads. Um, that's what Paul is going to do. He, he's going to show them how devastating it would be if there were no resurrection of the dead. So, let's join Paul in this. Look with me at verse 13. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Paul puts the resurrection of the dead and the resurrection of Christ together. You cannot have one without the other. I wonder, um, can you think of two things that go together? A bit of participation here. I've got a few fun examples. Can you finish these sentences? Feel, feel free to shout out. I know you love to do that. Knife and, thank you, Ellie. Hide and, salt and, pen and, paper, fish and, chips, my favorite. You know, they're lighthearted examples. Uh, we shouldn't push them too far. But in principle, they are they go together, these items, don't they? Um, they go together. And so I wonder if that will help us get our head around what Paul is saying. He's saying this most amazing truth, that the resurrection of the dead and the resurrection of Jesus go together. You cannot have one without the other. So if the dead don't rise, then Jesus has not been raised from the dead. And the consequences are a lot worse than not having a knife and fork for dinner. Verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. 
The resurrection of Jesus really is at the heart of the gospel. Paul is saying here, if Jesus hasn't been raised, their preaching is a waste of breath. And so too is the Christian's faith. For us, if Jesus has not been raised, your faith and my faith, useless. No point at all. Complete waste. But that's not the worst of it. Verse 15. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. If Jesus has not been raised, then Paul, well, he would have been lying about God. Paul would have been misrepresenting God. And his false gospel would have been deeply offensive to God. And so then, the Christians, they well, they would have been duped and deceived. They would have been believing utter rubbish about God, and they wouldn't know God at all. Um, so what would that mean for us today, if we believed in the resurrection of Jesus? Well, it would mean that, that we too have been deceived about God. And it would mean that if we've been sharing the gospel and telling others that Jesus is raised, well, that means that we've been lying about God. How terrible. But there's more. Verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then our sins are not forgiven. And we would still be facing God's wrath for our sins. This might puzzle us because, well, we know it's at the cross that Jesus bore all our sins and God's judgment on our sins. But if Jesus had stayed dead, then that would have meant that his sacrifice was not enough. It would have meant that Jesus himself deserved death, and so he could not bear the sin of others. It would have meant that everything that Jesus had said was a lie. He was not God's eternal king. And so no resurrection means no forgiveness of sins. Perhaps Paul has finished pouring the icy water over their heads to wake them up. No, (laughs) he goes on, persistent Paul, verse 18. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If Jesus has not been raised, then Christians who have died have died unsaved. They have died in their sins, and so they are lost forever under the judgment of God. It's very sobering, isn't it, to think now of all the centuries of Christians who have gone before us, lost forever. To think of the Christians that we've known and loved, lost forever. To contemplate this is is deeply distressing. No comfort, no hope, only fear, judgment and despair. And so verse 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be fitted. If our hope in Jesus ends with death, then we are to be the most pitted people in the whole earth. We are to be pitted as those who are building their lives on a lie. And so people would be right to say that Christians are missing out on life. It would mean our friends are right to feel sorry for us when they see us spending Sundays with church 
It would mean that our colleagues are right to think we're weird when we don't join in with moaning about the boss. It would mean that the single celibate Christian is totally missing out on true satisfaction and pleasure. It would mean sharing the gospel is, is completely pointless. It would mean that our prayers are just speaking to the air. It would mean that our relationship with God is a delusion made up pie in the sky when you die. A life built on empty promises. I wonder, can we take the time now, uncomfortable as it, as it is, to really feel the weight of what Paul is saying? To really feel that how pointless our faith would be if Jesus has not been raised. For if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, <laughs> and here is such a glorious word, a word that Paul will keep on preaching, but Jesus has been raised. But Jesus has been raised. Look with me at verse 20. Such wonderful words. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus has been raised from the dead, true, fact, history. And what is more, Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. But what does first fruits mean? Well, it means the first of the harvest to come. It's like the first wheat appearing in the farmer's field, or the first apples on the trees. And the first fruit is the guarantee of the whole harvest to come. Now, we might not plant wheat fields, but many of us have gardens. And isn't it joyful to see the first flowers of spring, whether it's the snowdrops or early daffodils, perhaps? And with the first flowers comes the promise, comes the guarantee of the flowers to come. And then one day spring arrives fully and with daffodils and all sorts of flowers springing up everywhere. So too, Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He is the first to be raised and his resurrection guarantees the resurrection of all Christians. So, whenever we are tempted to doubt if we will be raised, remember Jesus, our first fruit. He is the first, and so we will certainly follow. For, um, have a look at verse 21. Since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Where did death come from in the first place? It came from a man, the man, the first man, Adam. It might surprise us that Paul goes back to the start of human history, to the events of Genesis chapter 3. What has Adam got to do with you and me? What has Adam got to do with the resurrection of Jesus? Well, in Genesis 3... Um, feel free to look at it um, later. In Genesis 3, when Adam rebelled against God, Adam received God's just judgment of death. And so it is through Adam that death came to humanity's line. Uh, for, the, for all of us, every human, 
is what the Bible calls in Adam. Um, he's our forefather. Uh, just as we inherit things from our parents, actually every human has inherited um, from Adam rebellion, rebellion against God, an inheritance that we make our very own in our lives. So we too, all of us, therefore receive God's just judgment of death. Every single human dies. And yet, do you see in the passage that just as death is certain in Adam, well, just as certain there is a new man who overcomes death, the new man, Jesus. And he brings certainty. But the certainty he brings is life. He is the man through whom the resurrection will come, through whom we will live forever. And so, actually, we, we often look at the certainty of death and despair. But actually, just as much as we see the certainty of death, we can be certain that we're going to be raised. There's a new certainty in Jesus. Just as certainty, just as certain it is that we will each individually experience death, we will all, who trust in Jesus, be made alive forever. But when? When will this happen? Well, as with all things, the resurrection will happen in God's timing, in God's order. So have a look at verse 23. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. It is that day in the future when Jesus will come again in glory that Christians will be raised from the dead. It's on that future day that those who he dearly loves, those who belong to him, will be raised too. Did you notice that phrase, those who belong to him? What a blessed hope we have. How wonderful to be described as those who belong to Jesus. The Corinthian church, they were really struggling with many things. With division, pride, sexual morality, greed. They were living for the here and now. And yet, at the same time, they were those who, by God's grace, belonged to Jesus. Christ died for their sins. Christ rose for their eternal life. They are his. And so too for us. We struggle with living for eternity um, and the, the temptation to live for now. But if we're trusting in Jesus, we are his today. We belong to him. And so we know when he comes in glory, he will raise us from the dead. And so we go on, verse 24. Then the end of then the end will come when Jesus hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The end of history as we know it will come. And on that day we see here all opposition to Jesus will be destroyed. Now, through Jesus' death and resurrection, he is already victorious. We'll see a bit more about that in our, our next talk. Jesus is already reigning over his enemies, over Satan, over sinful humanity, over death. But we know today, don't we, that the influence of Satan over sin and death is, is seen throughout this world. When we think about COVID, um, worldwide, Numbers are, are about 6 million people that 
they think have, have died from COVID or related to COVID. Ukraine, the great suffering we're seeing on 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 our screens in the papers um, that people, real people, are going through right now. Death is still present. We long for that day, that day to come, when Jesus will stamp his feet on death. Death will be no more. Jesus will destroy death. And did you notice that when he destroys death, he will hand over, verse 24, the kingdom to God the Father. He will give all authority to the Father. And in verse 28, the Son, Jesus himself, will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Now these verses might seem a bit puzzling. We know Jesus is God, and he is God. He's the Son of God, with all authority. And yet within the Trinity, we see here a glimpse of, of how the Trinity relates. Jesus is going to give everything to the Father. And the, the phrase that God may be all in all means that the Father will reign over all without any opposition. What a hope we have to look forward to. What a guarantee. Death is not the end. Death is not oblivion. Jesus has been raised, so our faith is not futile. Jesus has been raised, so we're no longer in our sins. Jesus has borne the judgment of God. We need not fear death. And so, when we think about Jesus' resurrection, we know that Christians who have already died, they're not lost. They're with him, awaiting that day of resurrection bodies. And so our hope in Christ is for eternity, not just for this life. Praise God for Jesus. As we read these words, let our first response be one of praise. Praise God for the resurrection. Praise God that Jesus is the first fruits and we follow. But what about that lingering fear of missing out? That temptation to live for now? Well, that's what Paul particularly turns to. Because Jesus has been raised, the Christians need to wake up and stop sinning. Wake up and stop sinning. Have a look with me at verse 29. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptised for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptised for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day, yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised... Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses, wake up. Come back to your senses as you ought, and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. See, Paul here is he's continuing to show the Christians that there really is a resurrection. He does this by using two examples. The first one is rather strange. No doubt you're thinking, I'll put a question in the box about this. <laughs> it's the practice in verse 29 of baptizing people for the dead. Um, now Paul here, he doesn't say whether it should happen or not. And it doesn't come up anywhere else in the Bible. 
but he's using it just simply to show that if the dead are not raised, why do it? And then the second example um, that speaks speaks right into this fear of missing out, um, he goes on to, and we'll spend a bit more time on that. Verse 30, as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? He's essentially saying, what is the point of suffering for Jesus? Why risk his life now if there's no resurrection? Why proclaim the gospel? Instead, verse 32, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. It's a waste of time suffering for Jesus if there's no resurrection. Live for today. Carpe diem, comfort, ease, seize the day. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. But we know, don't we, from what Paul said so far, that the resurrection of the dead is certain. Jesus' resurrection proves it. So Paul here says, don't be deceived, verse 33. Don't be misled on this, which shows that it's easy to be misled. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. This is, this is a quote. Uh, Paul quotes a Greek poet. Bad company corrupts good character. He's warning them, don't be misled by others. Don't be re- deceived by those around who are living for now. And so we do, we do need to be so aware of the influences in our lives, of those who are, who are living for this life. We might think of, of our non-Christian friends, our colleagues, family. But actually, I wonder whether as Christians, do we encourage one another to live for now instead of eternity? It may be that we ourselves, I speak to myself, and being an unhelpful influence on others, it's worth asking ourselves, how how do I subtly encourage other Christians to, to, to take the comfortable option rather than suffering for Jesus? How might we be encouraging each other to think think more and talk more about now without thinking about eternity? And I wonder, how might we as a whole church family bring eternity into our conversations? How might we help each other so instead of being misled, we are to, verse 34, come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Here we're seeing that belief, what we believe, and behavior, how we behave, they go together, belief and behavior. So the Corinthian Christians denied that the dead would be physically raised. And that was actually linked to their sinning. Their ignorance of God and his truth was linked to shameful behavior. Their unbelief in the resurrection was directly linked linked to the way that they were living as a church. So if they were to wake up, what did they most need? Well, they needed right belief. They needed to hold firm to the gospel, to remember each day the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so that's what we need too, to bring into our conversations, in our thinking each day, Christ is risen. We need to pray, don't we, for God's help in this. It is only by grace that we hold firmly to the gospel. We need to speak the gospel to ourselves. Open 1 Corinthians 15. Put, word, put those verses to memory. 
and let's help each other in this. Let's let's talk about that Jesus has been raised, not just when it comes to the Easter weekend. Let's talk about his resurrection. Let's encourage each other when we're struggling about perhaps sharing the gospel with a friend to say, it is hard, but Jesus is risen. It's worth it. It's worth it. When we're tempted to fear that we're missing out, when we look at our peers and just have that split second thought of, of envy that it comes so quickly and goes so quickly, let's just tell ourselves, no, Jesus is risen. And when we're tempted to sin in that moment, remind ourselves, actually, no, we will be raised with Christ. And when we're tempted to give up risk, remember, Jesus is returning one day. And when we see death in the world, whether that's the world, the big picture world, or in our own personal circumstances, let's remember that one day Jesus will destroy death. No resurrection would mean our faith is pointless. But Jesus has been raised. So wake up and stop sinning. Let's pray. Father God, it is really hard to read these words about how hopeless and pitiful it would be to be a Christian if Jesus had not been raised. Please help us to really feel the weight of that, but then all the more to utterly rejoice that Jesus has been raised. Thank you for this image of first fruits, the harvest, the guarantee. It really is certain that the risen Jesus will come back and raise all to physical life forever all who trust in you. We just thank you so much. Please help us as Christian sisters to really bring the eternal perspective into our conversations and lives. For your glory. Amen.